listening is what you see, it's what you sense, and it's what you hear. But many of us are too distracted. We have so many browser tabs open in our own mind that we can't be present to listen to the other person because we're not present to ourselves. So the biggest barrier to listening isn't the techniques we just talked about. It's you listening to yourself. Hello, and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Silk, and today I'm happy to introduce Oscar Timboli. Oscar Timboli is a visionary on a mission to create 100 million deep listeners. As an award-winning author, host of the Deep Listening podcast, and a sought-after keynote speaker, Oscar is passionate about using the gift of listening to drive positive change worldwide. Through conversation with diverse workplace listeners, he's uncovered insights from over 15,000 people. With a rich background in marketing and technology, Oscar has worked with industry giants like Microsoft, Google, and Salesforce. Beyond his professional life, he enjoys afternoon walks with his wife, Jenny, and their dog, Kilimanjaro, while weekends are dedicated to playful Lego session with his four grandchildren. Join us as we delve into Oscar Trimboli's journey and the transformative power of deep listening. Oscar, thank you for joining. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Shalom, Karen. I'm looking forward to listening to your questions. Uh, great. And I want to start with a personal question and ask you about a person who has had a significant impact on your life and business philosophy. If you can share with us. Yeah, if you all kind of come with me back to April 2008, I'm in a boardroom, uh, 18 people, Sydney, Seattle, and Singapore. It's a video conference. It's the annual budget setting process. And these meetings are renowned for tough negotiation, running over time, and we've got 90-minute schedule for the meeting. And at the 20-minute mark, my vice president in the room looks me straight in the eye and said, Oscar, I need to see you immediately after this meeting. Now, Karen, the only thing that was going through my head at that time, I'm about to get fired and how many weeks of salary have I got left? The meeting continued, but I did not pay attention. I did not listen to a word that was said because I was writing down how many weeks of salary I've got and which five people could I call straight after this meeting uh, to try and find a job. Now, the meeting finished early. It finished at the 70-minute mark and everybody packed up their computers and their notepads and started walking out the room and so did I. And Tracy said, now, Oscar, don't forget, close the door because what I have to tell you is private and important. So I closed the door and I walked back to my table where I am with Tracy and she says, you have no idea what you did at the 20-minute mark, do you? And I thought, great, I'm getting fired and I don't even know why. <laughs> I sat down and Tracy said to me, Oscar, if you could code how you listen, you could change the world. And as profound a moment of listening as was on Tracy's part, the only thing that was going through my head is, I haven't been fired, I haven't been fired. And I hope now, many years down the track uh, that I'm honoring Tracy's request, not to code how I listen, but code the best way for people to listen in the workplace, whether that's with 
uh, jigsaw puzzle games that were created, books and all kinds of other things. So the person who had the most profound impact on the last decade of my life has been Tracy. Wow, amazing story. It's funny because listening, it looks like really a simple thing to do, but it, it's the opposite. In a, paradoxically, it's the opposite way, right? So we'll, I'm really curious to to learn what you learned about listening, you know, because we're in the same realm of uh, working, consulting with managers, and we know how important it is, but I'm curious to understand more deeply about what you explored. So first of all, I'll be happy to hear what have you learned from your research over 10,000 workplace listeners, if you can share with yeah. us? Yeah, well, we're up to 32,000 workplace listeners because we keep tracking it. One of the questions we ask people in the research is, rate yourself as a listener, and then we ask them to rate other people as listeners. So they rate themselves as a listener, and then they rate other people when they're speaking. Now, research tells us that 74.9% of people rate themselves either above average or well above average when it comes to listening. <laughs> Yet when they rate others, they only rate 12% of people as above average or well above average. So we have a bias already that we think we're better listeners than what we are because the value of your listening sits with the person speaking. It doesn't sit with the way you self-assess yourself because you, you can't assess your own listening. And one of the things we talk about when we work with our clients is it's, it's not your job to understand what the person says. It's your job to help them say what they think and what they mean so that they feel seen, heard, and valued. Many people don't know the science of listening. And it's very simple in a mathematical way. If you know that when somebody speaks, they're speaking roughly in English, 125 to 150 words per minute. Now, when you're in Eastern European or South American cultures, that speed is a little quicker. But on average in English, that's where you are. So let's say 125 words per minute. Our thinking speed, though, on average is 900 words per minute. So we've got 900 words a minute in our mind, but we can only get out 125 every time. So what the person is expressing the first time, 14%. And you need to pause and wait a little longer. If you want to get what they say that isn't their first thinking, their draft thinking, their level one thinking. And for many of us, we're just having dialogue with 14%. And 86% of what isn't said is the most crucial part of listening. So for each of us, remember this, if you're starting to ask people questions about the very first thing they say, you've just missed 86% of what they haven't said. Good listeners, active listeners, focus on what's said. Deep listeners, great listeners, notice what's not said. So when you're speaking, it resonates with me that Really, it's interesting because you di differentiate between deep listening and, right, between active listening and deep listening. And hmm. when you talk about deep listening, for me, it's like being present and giving the space and being in a really being quiet, silence. And people don't like to be silent, right, because they need to fill the void. They don't want to 
that people will see something that they don't want them to see. So we learn to speak and feel the, the space. But as I see it, the deep listening, it's really our presence, only being there with, with our intention and creating the space and to enable something to emerge. And this is, I think, what you're talking about, the deep, and I call it actually the wisdom, because it's beyond our mind, right? Why are you laughing? <laughs> You're uh, no, you're reminding me of a conversation I had with with a client in 2018. We were in the um, big business tower, and she was responsible for the merger integration of two companies. So she was in the company that was being bought, not the company that had bought them. And typically, when you acquire a company, it's the company that has the employees that are buying, they kind of run everything about pulling the businesses together. In this case, she was the person. And we had had a conversation, maybe going on for three months up until then. And she said to me, as we started the meeting, Oscar, today, put your hazmat suit on. This was before COVID. Put your hazmat suit on because I'm going to vomit on you till I tell you I've finished. I was like, okay. Now, I was lucky because behind her on her right shoulder, there was a clock in the office. And as I was watching this clock go, five minutes, and I was saying nothing. And she was just talking and talking and talking and talking. And about the 12-minute mark, I noticed her body shifted. She had gone from a state of just getting it out, getting it out, getting it out, and then she stopped herself. I hadn't said a word. I was just being present and giving my full attention to the situation. The clock finished 29 after 11. It was the meeting started at 11. She goes, oh, that feels so good to get it out. I said, what happened when you did this with your body? She goes, oh, my God, you know, that's when I said to myself, enough of the excuses, you need to take responsibility. And in that moment, Oscar, my mind had changed because I realized I was telling myself stories that weren't helpful. And I simply said, where do we go to from here? She goes, that's all I needed. I've made my decision. You can go now. <laughs> it's like, and it's a, a perfect example of if the process is clear to everybody, listening can just be witnessing and presence. It doesn't have to be questions. It doesn't have to be, mm-hmm, uh-huh, tell me more. It doesn't have to be any of those things. Now, that's a very extreme case. But for somebody to talk nonstop for 25 minutes because we had the bit at the beginning. Um, she was getting through what she first 125 worked next. And then she heard herself. And then she her body shape changed. Now I speculate, Karen, if I did not say to her, what happened when you body when your body changed, we would have continued the conversation normally. Mm-hmm. Listening is what you see, it's what you sense. And it's what you hear, but many of us are too distracted. We have so many browser tabs open in our own mind that we can't be present to listen to the other person because we're not present to ourselves. So the biggest barrier to listening isn't the techniques we just talked about. It's you listening to yourself. 
It's you shutting down the browser tabs. It's you, like a musician, tuning your listening instrument and noticing, are you ready for this meeting? A really simple tip is don't book any meetings that you are the meeting organizer that start at the top of the hour. Just book a meeting five minutes after the hour, particularly in group meetings, and people will arrive present as opposed to people rushing in and saying, sorry, I'm late, I've got a back-to-back meeting and I'm really, really sorry. They're not present in that meeting till about five minutes later. But if they can get a glass of water, visit the restroom, have something to eat, you have a very different experience. So I'm curious, what's that got you thinking, Karen? <laughs> wow, it's amazing because you talked about the embodiment. And you know, you, do you know the focusing method of Dr. Eugene Jordel? So he developed, he is a, a psychotherapist, and he developed a method called the focusing. It's actually the ability to focus our attention to in our inner world, to our sensations, to our emotions. And he had a definition called felt sense, to feel our sensations. And sometimes we don't know what we feel, and it's okay, give it time. And when we give it time, it creates meaning. And this is actually the embodiment, the ability to connect. And this is actually tools that I work with, with my, in my retreats and with working with managers, connecting deeper to our inner wisdom, to our body, to our sensation, because usually we are disconnected from themselves, from our feelings and emotions. And beyond that, they created a, a research in the 60s and they were exploring which people are going through a transformative therapy sessions. And what they found is actually what you said right now, that they could see after two sessions who will go through a transformative ter- therapist. And it's not connected to the therapist, but the, pe- the person who's going through the therapy. And what they found is the people who were talking only from the mind, continuing from the mind, didn't go through a transformative experience versus the people who were talking through the mind and then paused and we're connecting to the body and listening to the body and working with the sensations, they went through a transformative experience and they could see it only after two treatments. So this is actually what you're saying and this is actually what connects to the deep listening. It's really our ability to put our attention inside and connect deeper and to our sensations, to our emotion. You know, it's connects to our intuition, right? We have a lot of wisdom within our body that usually we don't listen to it. And sometimes we can't explain it rationally, but we feel something is wrong. Do you listen to this intuition or do you let it go? So I really, it really resonates within me. This is why I I was so looking forward to our conversation because you know, it's my passion and your passion, so. So so if we we go to your retreat, because not everyone listening can go to your retreat, just talk us through the, that section where you help people connect there. Well, what are the steps you take people through to get them present to themselves and the, what they sense? First of all, we retreat from the day to day. You know, what is a retreat? To take three days off from the noise, the outside noise, and really create space for ourselves. So it's beginning from physically taking ourselves out of the routine. And then I invite them, first of all, I use meditations, you know, in order to quiet our mind, I work with meditations and to better connect to ourselves. So we're starting by practicing meditation and creating the space. And then I also offer, we also go through exercises with the focusing method, listening to our body and uh, giving them exercise in pairs 
each and every one to share a memorable experience in his life, but not from his mind to, to share it and then pause and see what it resonates within his body, what feeling arises, what sensation, and to talk the sensation and the feelings and then continue with the story, but connecting to their body. So, you know, I'm, I'm helping them to go deeper to their body. And then we continue with various kinds of meditation, but we also create a space that I invite them to speak authentically about their feeling, their sensation, being vulnerable. And, you know, as a facilitator and a leader, I'm showing up also fully and being authentic and vulnerable. And sometimes, you know, what's the interesting, what creates the most uh, transformative experience in the retreats is when I show up vulnerable. And when I feel something doesn't, I don't understand something and I learned to do it. You know, in the past, I didn't listen to it and I was paying the price afterwards. So for example, in one of the retreats, we have a long break in the noon for, you know, three hours to go to nature, each and every one to observe what he got, went through. And there's a spa and then we're coming back to the session. And then I came back to the session and I felt something in my stomach, my belly, that something doesn't feel right. I didn't know to pronounce it, to say, what is it? So in the past, the old Karen would, would have ignored it. So, okay, never mind. I won't refer to it. Let's continue with the schedule. But I learned that this is not what I need to do, right? I need to create a space. So I was, I, I developed the courage to talk about it. And I say, you know, I don't know why something doesn't feel well for me. I don't know what, what is it feeling anybody wants. I don't, something doesn't feel, I, I feel something doesn't, is not right right now. And I'm silent. And then one of the participants started talking and she was resisting the process. And it was amazing because as she talked and took it out, the fact that I triggered it and didn't acknowledge it and gave it space, she started talking because I felt her actually. And she started talking about the resistance, about what she's going through. And it was amazing because as she talked, I didn't feel it anymore in my body, like it transformed. So this is the miracle that happens in this retreat, the ability really to be present without inner listening. And the next stage is to also dare to speak it loudly and to say, I don't know, something, I feel something. What do you think about it? What do you think and about it? Yeah, I'm curious which language the workshop was in. In Hebrew. This in one. Hebrew. I sense you didn't feel it the same way saying it in English. Could you say that sentence that you said in Hebrew for the, for the audience think, right now? I think you don't feel it because it happened already. I'm not connected. No, no, no. But no, I'm, I'm curious because what I want to do is notice the difference in the way you say it in Hebrew compared to English because I think it embodies differently. That's why I'm asking the question. Okay. So what did I say? I said in Hebrew that I, I, I really can't remember the, the exact word to the said. I think this is why you don't feel my presence right now as I was in the retreat. Hmm. Because they yeah, are- yet, yet in that in that moment, the speed with which you're speaking, you actually slowed down in Hebrew to connect with the words, whereas in English you gave a version of that, which is why I sensed it wasn't it was in your home language, not in not in the language we're using on the podcast. And what I want for everybody listening to notice when we're dealing with other cultures that are not the home culture, 
be careful about what association you put to language where people are not speaking in their home language because it has a different impact. I, ha I once had a conversation with somebody who was explaining a story about their father who'd passed away and they had a very, very difficult relationship, but they climbed the Machu Picchu Trail and they'd done that together. And Ibor had told me this story and he was telling me it was an emotional story, but I couldn't hear any emotion as he was telling me in English. And I just said, can you please say it in Spanish? Mm. And he started crying straight away because he could remember those words in Spanish. So for those of you listening who work across cultures and the culture isn't just a language difference or, or a historic difference, it could be just the language of the jargon of your business with another business that doesn't have that jargon. Be careful to associate meaning immediately if they're not speaking in their home language. Karen, as I said, that there seemed to be something that happened for you when I said that. So I'm curious what's going on as you hear that. Well, first of all, when you talk now, I had a shiver in my body, like something mm. deeply within me. You know, when I have shivering all over my body, I, I, it's accurate. This is, this is my sign with my body. So it was accurate what you say. It's a different experience to talk, you know, or it's not the podcast. It's not, not my tongue, mother tongue, you know. So it's different when I speak naturally in Hebrew and when you speak a different language, I think for each and every one of us. And what you actually invited us when we walk globally with different cultures to give each and every one the ability to speak within his language, if you can pair them with their own native speakers and to do this practice with their languages, it would be much deeper, right? And even if you can't pair them with somebody from their home language, just to get them to say a key phrase in their home language will connect them in a completely different way to the idea and the way they embody that will show the other person a big difference. So you slowed down in Hebrew versus in English, your pace was a very different pace. And I wasn't sure if you're slowing down in Hebrew because you were connecting to the feeling or you're slowing down in Hebrew because you actually trying to place yourself in that space and time in that moment. But as leaders, the insight is this language can be constraining or liberating. And people can't always find the words the first time. Mm -hmm. Give them time and space. And, and that, that is just you being there rather than you prompting with what you think is an amazing question you want to ask just because you want to look smart or whatever it is. As you pick up that idea about language as a barrier or a building block, oh, I'm, I'm fascinated because unlike me, uh, I speak one language, uh, okay. I, I always think people who speak more than one language have an advantage because their ability to adjust their mental models. And for those of you who are listening, um, Hebrew goes in a completely different direction to English as an example right to left and left to right. And only in Japan does it, does it kind of follow the same way. And I think some of the Sanskrit languages as well. So even those mental models will be different for people there. I'm just curious, Karen, what, what that's getting you prompting about language being a constraint or a way to liberate. I think language, you know, it's, I agree with you that, first of all, it uh, remembered me that a feedback that I got in the last retreat from a participant. She said, it's amazing that you walk the talk, you actually close your eyes when you talk 
I didn't notice this, but when I speak, usually I close my eyes to connect with my feelings and what arises within me, and then I resonate it outside. So this is the way I actually facilitate retreats. I tune in and take it out, tune in. So I'm really focused inside. Uh, so it was interesting that you say that I do it in Hebrew because this is what I do when I facilitate a retreat. When we were speaking, you know, I was part of this interview and conversation, so I wasn't in this state of pausing and going deeper. So this was interesting. And I think, yes, look, English uh, language is a barrier when you don't speak your own language. It's different because, you know, you can't articulate exactly what you mean with different English, because also in English, there are various kinds of words for the same word, you know. So when you, a native speaker, you know to choose the correct uh, word, but when you are, it's your second language, you don't have all, all the articulation. So uh, yes, I think you need to work with it. So it's not, if you're asking, I'm much more natural in Hebrew, but I did want to broadcast it, a, a podcast in English because I wanted to go globally and people will hear it worldwide. Yes, there's pros and cons, you know. I'm sure that in Hebrew, all, the, all my audience in Hebrew would have listened and I'm sure the fact that I'm doing it in English, I lose audience in Hebrew and in Israel and also in the in globally because I'm not a native, you know. So it's, it's, it is a challenge in the language, but I'm, I'm practicing, you know, being better. You're awesome. You're doing great. Um, with with our time remaining, where do you want to go? Because it's probably not the kind of interview that you normally have, right? <laughs> yes, it's, it's really interesting. It's like a really professional, uh, deep, deep conversation. So I would like to ask you uh, if there are any questions, because I have a lot of questions for you, but what do you feel like listening deeply to yourself now? You want to take the conversation. Where do you want to take it? What do you feel like sharing with us? Uh, no, you're the host, so over to you. I'm, I'm here to serve. Okay. So you said that you have interviewed over 100 of the world's most diverse listeners. What do they have in common? So we did talk a little bit about listening to the body and embodied, but I'm sure there are much more things. Yeah, I, I think the primary thing they all have in common is uh, curiosity. Mm -hmm the willingness to have their mind changed. They don't hold the idea really tightly. It's not part of their identity. Mm -hmm. So whether I'm interviewing dolphin trainers or judges or whether I'm interviewing journalists or doctors, whether I'm interviewing palliative care nurses or I'm interviewing university lecturers, I think curiosity to understand that simple premise that we talked about earlier on is what they've said, what they think, and what they mean. Because a lot of the time, they also notice with their curiosity, oh, I heard what they said, but they're looking agitated. I heard what they said, but it's not congruent. So their ability to listen by seeing, by sensing, as well as by hearing whether that's by video or whether that's face-to-face, -face, uh, the curiosity just to pause, not to feel rushed. Well, you mentioned earlier on everybody's kind of feeling rushed and they have to get there. This is true of work cultures, yet ancient cultures in my part of the world, the Australian Aboriginals, 
in North America, the Eskimo communities in the Polynesian islands, in jungle tribes in South America. Silence, that's a sign of wisdom, respect, and authority. It's not a signal that I don't know the answer. Hmm. So again, as I interview anthropologists who study human behavior, whether that's culturally in workplaces or across cultures or within ancient cultures or tribal cultures versus working cultures, this tension with a pause, I always say to people, if you can adjust the conversation to think about the quality of the dialogue Rather than the speed of your response, you're likely to have fewer misunderstandings. You're likely to have customers, employees who'll stay with you longer, products that launch on time, products that are meeting the needs, and customers who are willing to refer you to other customers because you do take that bit of extra time to just get the quality right. I think just filling up our calendars to talk and then we come back next week and we go, oh, no, no, sorry, that's not what I meant. What I meant was, and that creates a whole lot of rework. And the more senior you are in the organisation, the more of your day you spend listening and the more critical it is. So the insight from the 100 deep dive, diverse workplace listeners, curiosity, willingness to have their mind change and a flexibility to match their communication style with the communication style of the group or the individual they're working with. So a good example of that today is when I was noticing physically in your embodiment, I was like, oh, okay, I sense there's an adjustment I need to make here. I think it's about language difference. I went there, took a risk, and sounds like it paid off. Um, as opposed to, okay, Karen, I am a robot. Ask me the next question. I don't think it would have been as interesting a discussion, right? That's so true. And you talked about the risk. And when you talked and said about the curiosity, flexibility, and adjustment, what resonated with me and from my experience for being a good listener and really enabling this wisdom to emerge and deep listening, it's taking the risk and being able to be in the uncertain, right? And this is actually what you did. You said, oh, I think mm. something that this maybe could be the right direction. I, I'm not sure, but I will mm. be courageous enough to be vulnerable and say say what I think. And maybe it will resonate, maybe not. So we need to take a leap of faith here and be able to hold this uncertainty space, right? And see, be present. Uh- Yeah, and for me, the curiosity was like, wow, I'd love to go on one of Karen's retreats. I wonder if I ask her a question, if she'll tell me a little bit about it, because I'd love to understand what happens there. And um, yeah, that's where curiosity came in. And then when I heard the descriptors, I was like, I'm being flexible. I can make the adjustment. And then like, I don't think, and I definitely didn't, I didn't think we'd be talking about language constraints and embodiment at the beginning of this conversation. Maybe you did. I definitely didn't, but I was happy to go there. Yeah, this was uh, going straight deep forward. I started with the last question because I was so curious about it. 
<laughs> Let me ask you, uh, although we need to wrap in five minutes, but I feel I continue, so let's continue. What are the four billions of listening and what can I do about them to change them? Oh, uh, yeah. So again, in our research, we ask people to describe what gets in their way mm-hmm. when it comes to listening. And we researched about 2,500 workplace listeners and we asked them a lot of descriptors and working with our research team. They came back and said, look, Oscar, there's four four primary clusters. What what name do you want to give these people who listen primarily in, in for emotion and connection? And these people who listen primarily through time and productivity, these people, they're problem solvers. And these people over here, well, they're just confused why they're even in the conversation at all. And I said, look, I don't know the answer to that, but why don't we go back to those original people and ask them to put labels on on themselves so it was a bit of listening like we've we heard their problems and was like what are the labels so the group that listens emotionally for connection and moves the spotlight off the speaker and onto them it sounds like uh that karen might say to me i'm really struggling with my manager they don't turn up to my one-on-ones they keep canceling a short notice and the emotional dramatic that's the name of the villain the dramatic villain says ah let me you think your manager is terrible. Let me tell you about my manager. And they move the spotlight onto them with their story. Now, they're not doing it because they want to move the spotlight. They're just trying to create a connection. But in doing so, they break the bond between them and that person in that moment. Then when we look at interrupting, these people are very time and productivity orientated. They're like the quiz show contestant who presses the buzzer before the host has finished the question. They answer the wrong question. The speaker says, I can sense they're impatient, but they're actually creating friction in our relationship because I don't trust myself to tell them the real problem because I know they're going to keep interrupting. Now, those people use pattern matching from history. They use a lot of bias in the way they approach problem uh, answering questions. Now, those people just de- definitely need to slow down, bite their tongue. The problem solver is called shrewd. The, this is my listening villain. A shrewd villain kind of looks at you and goes, mm, yeah, and look like I'm listening. But in my head, uh, problem one, I fix that. Problem two, I fix that. Problem three, I fix that. And what the speaker says is they're pretending to listen, but they're trying to fix me. Mm-hmm. And again, it creates a disconnect in the relationship because they feel they're being judged for being too slow or not explaining the problem and all of that. And then finally, lost listener. Lost listener turns up to a meeting because you invited them. They don't know why. They kind of look around the room. They're not sure. Those people just simply have to ask a question. What role do you want me to play in this meeting? But this shows up mostly in group meetings where cultures are polite. Uh, Far East is a good example of this, where they invite people along, but they're not sure why they're present in the meeting. So the four villains are lost, interrupting, shrewd, and dramatic. And they don't vary statistically between men and women. It's equally represented across both genders. So one of the fallacies of listening is um, one gender is better at listening than another. The data and the academic research does not show that at all. Um, maybe the way they present themselves while they're listening is different, but the actual listening effectiveness, no different across genders. 
Interesting. So, you know, <laughs> listeners that are listening and say, okay, maybe I need to practice this muscle of myself, this better yeah. listening. So what will you offer to them to start tomorrow morning, what they can do differently in order to nourish this equality and ability? Look, I, 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 I give you a seven-minute version. I'll give you a three-minute version. The seven-minute version is visit listeningquiz.com, answer 20 questions. You'll discover which villain you are, and you'll get a little report saying, hey, here's three things you can do. So that's tailored specifically to you. For those of you who don't want to take the quiz, three tips. Manage your notifications, notice your breathing, and drink water. If you can do those three things, meaning when you're in any kind of electronic meeting like a video conference, make sure you switch off all the notifications. Unless you're an emergency worker on call, then don't switch your notifications off. But for the rest of us, manage our notifications at for 92% of people in our research, just switching notifications and managing them increase their listening effectiveness three times. Noticing your breathing is back to what we were talking about. How am I embodying this conversation? So I'm not saying breathe. I'm saying notice your breathing. Is it deep? Is it shallow? Uh, are you even noticing at all? And if you can bring your presence to notice your breathing, then bring your presence to notice the other person's breathing, you're going to give yourself a little bit of space to not be talking. <laughs> and when you're not talking, you're listening. And then the last one is, if you feel like you're distracted or you're drifting away or you're judging, remember this, that although I speak at 125 words per minute, you can listen at 400 words per minute. You might be listening to this podcast at 1.5 times speed or two times speed. Just drink water when you get distracted. Again, that's going to send a signal to the part of the body known as a parasympathetic nervous system around your lungs and your heart. And it's just going to calm you down only a little bit. If you can actually notice the water going down, again, it's going to give you time to be present. So notifications, notice your breathing, and then drink water if you can do those three things. For bonus, if you've got a really tough meeting coming up, play 90 seconds of your favorite song, and that will recharge your listening battery before you go into a conversation. Wow, amazing. I love the tips. And yes, it comes back to being present and embodied and giving the time and space and be comfortable with it. Oscar, I really enjoyed our conversation. I could continue for hours and I think we'll continue to take it after the recording. So thank you very much for joining. If people want to reach out, where can they find you? Uh, best go to listeningquiz.com. You can learn about your own listening. And then if you still want to be in touch with me, the listening report will tell you how to get in touch. Great. So thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.